Tim Bailey was the second Tones Commissioner in 2009. He did his job for eight years and finished in 2017. Hi, my name's Tam Bailey and I'm joined by my predecessor Kathleen Marshall, who was the Commissioner from 2004 to 2009, and Bruce Adamson, who is the Commissioner from 2017 until present. And it's a delight to be here, the three of us together, to be in conversation, uh, to face a series of questions from children and young people, and the opportunity to reflect on our different terms of office and the experiences that that really generated. It's a very powerful impact that it can have on you. So here we are, waiting in trepidation for the questions to come in from the children and young people. Hello, thanks Tam for the introduction. Yes, Kathleen Marshall here. We're very much looking forward to a good conversation. And I'm Bruce Adamson. I'm the, the third commissioner. I always describe it as the best job in the world. And um, because we get to work directly with children and young people, um, and it does mean that we always get these challenging questions. So very much looking forward to sitting down with you, Tam and Kathleen, and, and getting these questions. I'm Gracie. I'm 11 today. What things have you changed for the better? I'm Ivo and I'm eight and a half. What laws have you helped change to help children and young people? Wow. I mean, everybody who's come into the job really wants to change things for children and young people. We want to change them as fast as possible, but we know that sometimes the process of change can be frustratingly slow. I think one of the things for the commissioners is I was picking up from Kathleen, uh, so there were certain things that were already on the go that I uh, had the privilege of uh, building on. So Kathleen did a lot of work about uh, children or prisoners where I had the opportunity to try and follow up those reports. Always as part of the commissioner's role is about the incorporation of UNCRC. That wasn't one which uh, I realised during my time. And of course, there were some outstanding things with regard to, for instance, the very low age of criminal responsibility we had in Scotland or the fact that children could be legally hit by their parents. And again, those weren't things that changed during my time, but they have changed now. And so that gives you an idea of just how long term it takes for things to change in law and in legislation. And we all play a little part of turning the dial in the right way. So yeah, in terms of actual law changes, it's not that easy to pin sole responsibility on a particular piece of legislation and a commissioner having the responsibility of that because we sit on each other's shoulders to some extent. Kathleen, is that your experience? Yeah, I think so. And I think you say you don't want to claim sole responsibility for something. It's the you know the whole community, but you can take a particular role. Like I used to say, I could say things that other people would find it difficult to say because of maybe their funding situation or something like that. You know, I could say some of the difficult things. I used to say to the voluntary organisations, I'm not here to steal your thunder. I'm here to add a little bit of lightning because they've got to have their profile as well. So I was very careful in saying, you know, like the newspapers sometimes claiming that their campaign had this effect. At the same time, I do hope that um, we have had an effect well, I think with the asylum, quite honestly, I suppose that's what probably most people who were around at the time associate me with, with my term in commissioner's office. I was approached by young people about asylum and that was really a big thing in my office. And I think I did make some changes there, although I couldn't deal with individual cases. 
when we had a meeting with the Home Office about it, he used to challenge my right even to talk about asylum because they thought I didn't have a right even to talk about it. It was only Westminster's issue. And um, I made an agreement with the person in charge of the Home Office Department about it. And I said, look, I can't deal with individual cases, but sometimes cases come up. I hear one story about what happened. You hear a story about what happened. So why don't I tell you what I'm hearing and then you can check it out and then we'll see where we take it from there. And I remember one particular case where I had been approached and it was a very difficult case of a dawn raid and what had happened to a family. So I phoned this woman at the Home Office and I said, this is what I've heard. And she said, that's not what I've heard. I've heard this. And she gave another story. But she did, you know, to give her all credit, she went and she checked it out and she discovered that what I had said was actually correct, what I had heard from people on the ground in the community about the dreadful way this family had been treated. And she told me that things would change. And it's that sort of thing. I did a lot of stuff on the law, responding to legal proposals, commenting on them, family law, female gender mutilation, adoption law, all sorts of things. But I had been spending the previous um, 15 years or something actually trying to get the law changed and really, and I think along with other people, there was a big impact like in the Children's Scotland Act 1995 with things that respected the rights of children and young people. But I was more concerned about actually making sure that all these good intentions and all these good laws were actually impacting what was happening to children and young people on the ground. And I think the commissioner's office too, you meet young people. I mean, a lot of the stuff we did on moving and handling young people with disabilities. That came from a particular group of young people that I had contacted with and they talked about these issues and that led to a whole report about it and to changes in guidance and things like that. And um, I often still think about those young people and wonder what's happening to them now as adults. And leaving care, all the stuff that I'd heard that was, if you read the guidance and the laws, you would think, Something particular was happening. And then when you heard the young people talking, you realised that wasn't actually happening at all. It was something entirely different. So I think a lot of that was really trying to turn the rights, the hard-won rights that were actually already on the statute book and often in the guidance, trying to turn them into practice. And I think we made some impact in that, but it wasn't always. I mean, at the end of my term of office, I revisited the Leaving Care one because... I was hearing from young people that despite all the work, it still wasn't happening. And that was a great disappointment to me. And I think some of these trends had to keep continuing. And I was really glad, for example, that Tam took up like children of prisoners and some of these other issues. And I know a lot of these threads, the real hard, hard issues have had to go through all three of our offices. And we have to make sure that even if we think we've had a hit, it doesn't slide back again at the expense of children and young people. That's really helpful, Kathleen, and a very strong reminder that implementation is as important as having the law changed. Most of the times we're reporting to the UN committee, it's about failed implementation as well as some gaps in the legislation. 
Bruce? Yeah, I, I strongly agree with that. And, and that often it is the implementation that, that's really key. But also that we're all kind of standing on the shoulders of giants. That any work that we do is testament to, to the work that the office has done over the 18 years, but also the point that you made so well. that um, we're not here to steal anyone's thunder, but we bring the lightning. I love that. I love that. But that Scotland, I think, more so than any other country I've worked in, has a really powerful and vibrant children's rights civil society and are such strong partners. And I think that, that that's really important to, to recognise that any change we've delivered is because we've worked with human rights defenders, children human rights defenders and, and civil society. When I came in in 2017, I think we'd had a, a really long period of positive discussion, kind of positive rhetoric. It was actually, things had moved significantly. So now we had government that was actively kind of talking in positive terms about rights, but things weren't actually changing for children and young people in the, in the way that we wanted to. And I came in with a, a very clear view that what this office needed to be was about that lightning that it was about that accountability, focusing on saying to those in power that that the rhetoric isn't good enough. You have to actually change that. And that there were some very clear things that required legal change. And so the three law changes to answer the question that I was very focused on was the physical punishment of children and young people. Every other country pretty much in, in Europe had already done this, kind of most around the world. And so still in Scotland, you could physically assault a child if you're a parent or carer and say that that was justifiable because it was um, for the purpose of physical punishment. And, and that so clearly breached children's rights under the Convention on the Rights of the Child. Also, in my view, breached the European Convention on Human Rights. And in fact, there'd been a number of cases previously about banning the use of physical punishment in schools. Also, another case about the use of a cane and using an implement. So the UK had this awful record. All the leading cases about physical punishment were against the UK. And each time the European court said, you're not respecting children's rights by allowing them to be physically punished. The UK moved slightly to ban just the thing. So not in schools, not with a weapon, but still allowing that. And so it was untenable in international law, I said very clearly. So I come in very strong with government then, threatening legal action, writing in legal journals, being very clear with ministers from day one that this was a breach of rights and needed to be remedied. But they weren't convinced and it was actually an opposition member. So it was John Finney. MSP, who was a Green Member of Parliament, who actually brought that through Parliament. And, and again, some amazing campaigning from civil society organisations and religious groups and the police and psychologists and others that got that through. And the Scottish Government came to it very late. And it was only because it became apparent that the opposition parties were voting for it, that the Scottish Government actually came on board with banning physical punishment, which we managed to change the law and it came into effect. And in fact, uh, just this week, Wales has followed suit. And so I think, Tam, you might have had a, a running bet with our Welsh colleagues about who might do that, do this first. And so <laughs> Scotland won that bet. By it's over never a... been paid, Bruce. It's never been <laughs> paid. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking, Sally, Sally Holland, the current Welsh Commissioner, finishes her mandate in, in, in about a week or so. And it's, it certainly will be a reckoning um, at her leaving do, I think. Um, I'll, I'll be seeking, seeking recompense. I think it was £10 that you'd bet on it. The other one was the age of criminal responsibility, which you've both mentioned as well. And so this, this outrageous position where we criminalise children for their behaviour at a very young age. And we know that, that using the criminal law is the worst possible way to address the harmful behaviour of children. And so again, totally out of step, the, the Council of Europe has for over a decade said that 14 was the absolute minimum. The, the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child have been saying it for a long time and, and recently updated their kind of general comment to, to reflect that. And so it was hugely disappointing to me that the discussions in Scotland were about moving from eight, which was the lowest in the world, 
up to 12, which was still two years below the internationally accepted minimum. And so that was something that, that was hugely concerning and very difficult discussions with government because they said, well, everyone's going to kind of accept 12 and 12 will be hard enough to get. So don't upset the apple cart. And again, in civil society, there were views like that in terms of saying, we'll take 12 because it's a positive step. And I think that, that where the commissioner can be lightning, Kathleen, is where you come in and say... Absolutely accept that maybe the, the politicians and maybe the public aren't ready to go further than 12, but the rights position is to argue for a much higher age of criminal responsibility, pointing to the evidence that says 15 or 16 would be better and that children are children until 18. But we changed the terms of the argument. I think, which was really important. And I think when we think about success, sometimes it's actually just changing the terms of the arguments that are really key. And then incorporation uh, as well, which is something we've been talking about for, for over 30 years. But the role that you've both played in the move towards getting the legislation passed unanimously by the Scottish Parliament just over a year ago to incorporate the Convention on the Rights of the Child. And while, while that's not yet in force because the Supreme Court says it needs to be reconsidered, I, I think that's the most important legislative thing that we can do in terms of children's rights. So three really important legal changes whose time had come, I think. And so I was in a very privileged position of being able to kind of arrive at a time where I could bring that lightning there to really move the dial on, on those three pieces of legislation, which, which had been a long time in the making. I realise I've talked quite a bit, but I, I want to mention very quickly the other big kind of changes being around the use of rights language, which was really important as well on some of those long-standing issues like poverty, like mental health, and actually framing those as rights issues rather than issues of charity or issues of choice. And so I think the framing of things as rights issues is something that the Children's Commissioners have really powerfully done over the last 18 years. Those are great examples, Bruce, of things that have ribboned their way through all of our tenures, which is a, a nice illustration of the passing of the baton from one commissioner to the next, to the next again. I think we've got another question coming up. Oh my. This is Ellen. She's 17 months old. And she would like to ask the commissioner something. Go on, Ellen. What do you want to ask? Okay, so I said I would pass on the answering of the questions to my other commissioners. I absolutely love that one. You, you need to you need to be there and see what Ellen was doing in terms of the expression or the use of art and the use of play. I was actually at a, a Bookbugs conference this morning having exactly this conversation about how important the early years work that we do is and how even with very young children or older non-verbal children, communication is so much more than just the spoken words. And again, great example of, I think, that you had when you gave evidence to Parliament one time, Kathleen, where you were being challenged by one of the committees saying, surely you're not going to ask three-year-olds about planning legislation. And you were saying, absolutely I am. You need to do it differently. You need to, you need to use creative ways and absolutely children's right to participate in decision making starts from birth and we've got to get a lot better engagement with early years and again the work that you did Tam on the Weebleather as well I think was really inspirational in terms of trying to really challenge this idea that very young children can't be involved. I think it illustrates a really important point about the fact that it doesn't matter what age or, or what verbal skills a child has they've still got exactly the same rights to be involved in decision making. 
No, I think I agree entirely with Bruce that um, we can learn so much from young children. One of the things that's really stayed with me and I still apply in my everyday life with my grandchildren is some research with children in nursery school about what they liked and what they didn't like. And one of the things they really didn't like was not being allowed to finish a task of being hurried on when their time is up from one thing to another. And I was thought, gosh, that is really, that's really interesting. And so like with my grandchildren, I always try and give them time to finish something and encourage them to move on rather than just saying, right, that's it. We're going to do this, that, the next thing. So there are so many things we can learn from young children. And I think you'd want to engage with the whole child and their carers, the carers who understand what particular behaviours or sounds mean to try and identify what's going on there. So one of the things that, uh, and thanks Bruce for the mention of the wee blether, was we had done a right blether, which was a massive consultation exercise, but it was mainly with adolescent children, or children in primary school and secondary school, and there was a great response to it. But we were conscious that we wanted to get under fives, and it took us ages to get the methodology right. And we had fantastic people who came from our nursery provision to say, so here's the kind of things that you want to be doing. Here's the kind of uh, approaches, because it's not pen and paper. It was about painting and children using other means of communication. And I have to say that it was the best presentation that I always gave, because we had these images of what children had told us. It was fantastic. And it was great fun doing it. So that was a right blether. We then had a right wee blether. And we tried to do baby blether because we were encouraging parents to look at the world through the eyes of their child. We didn't really, it was at the tail end of my tenure, but it was hitting at that mark about children having rights right from the time of their being born. And Scotland's doing lots of good work in terms of its, uh, its focus in the early years. And there's a real appetite for people in that sector to be looking at rights of children. So that's lovely, actually, and it's uh, goodness knows what our baby was saying. And it's good that I've taken my lead from uh, John, one of the young people here with us just today, for me not to answer the questions first, and I was able to ask you two those two <laughs> questions while I got my head round it. I'm Finlay, I'm 16. Was there anything that surprised you as Commissioner? Okay, I'm trying desperately not to answer these questions first off. Is that fair, I think, Kathleen? Do you want to take that one up first? It surprised me. I think listening to children and young people's views on them and realise things, how often they were different from what adults thought they would be. For example, I remember there was a consultation going on on sexual health or sex education or something and the young people were saying what they really wanted was relationship education. Now, it wouldn't say it really surprised me, but it was so different from what the kind of buzz was around about that. People thought it was all about mechanics and about contraception and abortion and criminalising young people for having sex when they're underage and all sorts of things like that. You know, that, that tended to be what a lot of the general discussion was. But when the young people talked about it, they were being really thoughtful and they wanted help with relationships, which I think we've moved on to a lot now and about abusive relationships and things like that. So I think young people constantly surprise you and they give you insights into things, as I say, like all the disability stuff and all the aftercare stuff and in care came from what young people said and it was not the same 
as the kind of quality or substance of the debate that was going on in the adult world. Uh, I remember going to a conference where young people were talking about love. And of course, we used that word a lot. Young people, like, for example, when they wanted the word love in uh, the Leaving Care leaflet that we were working on, they said no young person should leave care without the appropriate support and love or something like that. And when we passed that round, the local authorities had kind of piloted it and I've got it in the report, a uh, reply came back from Glasgow and said love is not something we would talk about in Glasgow. We would talk about appropriate support and everything and we all had a huge laugh at that. But I've seen young people present on things and, and they know what they mean. I mean, they, they didn't mean sex. They actually meant commitment and a warm relationship and basically staying with them, etc. They knew what they meant, but the general debate tended to cheapen it, I would say. So I think those are the sorts of things that I would say, I don't know if a surprise is the right word, but struck me, struck me quite yeah. forcibly. So that's interesting, because that struck something me. It was about the wisdom of young people, or children and young people. So I would often go into schools, I would uh, give them an imaginary magic wand with the power to change the world. And I was actually surprised with the consistency of the things that children and young people came back with. They were almost always altruistic, and it was about helping other children not go hungry, not have nowhere to stay and prevent other children being homeless. And it was only very rarely that somebody decided to give themselves a year's supply of chocolate milk eggs or anything like that. It was always, and this is even in the youngest children, very outward looking and caring about other young people. And the other thing where I did actually get surprised is that frequently I would go to schools or groups of children and young people and the freedom and the openness with which they spoke about mental health took me back a little bit because in my youth, to discuss mental health was quite taboo. And here you had groups of adolescents, quite large groups sometimes, talking about where they were at with regard to their mental health, the kind of things that had an impact on them, the kind of things that would improve. So, And I'm not quite sure where to place that, whether it was part of the, the general opening up of the lack of stigma and around mental health, or whether it was something about young people being actively encouraged and being open about giving their own views. But for whatever it was, it stuck with me. And just a final thing, which is actually my post-commissioner days, I actually do work in, in Shetland quite a lot. And we had an exercise where there were two groups for a development day. Uh, the youngsters had des designed it like this. And they put down the things that were most important to them. And the adults, the professionals, were putting down the things that were most important to us. So we come back with big ticket things like uh, mental health, substance misuse, alcohol misuse. And when we asked the young people what were the things that were important to them, it was very simple. Things to do and places to go which you might recognise, yeah. um, Kathleen, yeah. from your mm -hmm. earlier. Uh, and so it's still there, do you know, and it's a very simple cut through on the things that really matter to children and young people and how wide of the mark we as adults who thought we were well informed and where we were pitching it just wasn't where the youngsters were actually pitching what they really wanted and what would satisfy their priorities. Even still, it's very difficult to... I mean, that's such a consistent thing, the things to do and the places to go. It's the sort of thing that can be trivialised. 
you know, like yeah. play as a frivolity. And yet when you were talking, Tam, it just made me think there of one group that I visited, a youth group, and we were talking about their lives, basically. And one of them said, the thing is, there's nothing as fun as drugs. And that really struck me, you know, that um, actually young people often live in a, a kind of desert, you know, where there's, there really isn't much to do. And people say, oh, when I was young, you know, like I was saying, actually, we went up the bings and we did this and we made our own entertainment and all that sort of stuff. Do that now, you'll get a neighbour phoning to move those young people on. You know, they're making too much noise and they're this, that, and the next thing. And there aren't as many peripheral spaces, I think, as there used to be for a lot of young people. So when that young person said there's nothing as fun as drugs, that really got to me. And it really kind of strengthened my view. The whole things to do and quality things to do, especially when it's sometimes just with their peers, but also when it involves adults who build up a relationship with them. I always really admired detached youth workers who used to go out and try and engage young people who were out in the streets and try and help them to get into activities that they themselves would find worthwhile. Bruce, we've gone on a little bit there. And just to strongly agree with with all that you've been saying, I think, I think Kathleen, your point about, about love's an interesting one, which is still being discussed today. And, and you think... 30, 40 years ago when they were constructing the Convention on the Rights of the Child, in the preamble it talks about the purpose being to create a family environment of happiness, love and understanding. And so even the kind of the lawyers and the politicians and, and the people that were drafting the Convention were happy enough to put love into the preamble of an international document, which we know is, is part of how you interpret these things. So it has, it has legal standing. Yet still in Scotland there's that concern about how we use love. And so I think that's something that's quite interesting. In terms of the question about what surprises me, one of the things that surprised me is actually how easy some things have been and how quickly you can achieve change. And often for reasons that, that you can't quite figure out, sometimes an idea's time has come. And suddenly you're able to, and I think incorporation was a really good example of that, after years and years of pushing, and then within a few years, we get to the stage of unanimous passing in the Scottish Parliament. And there's a, an element of surprise there is, is that we kept pushing, and then suddenly things would happen. And it's not because we were doing anything differently, but just things were kind of falling into place. And I think that was something that surprised me quite a lot. Um, when I came in and I had these three big priorities around age of common responsibility and physical punishment and incorporation... I didn't think that they would happen as quickly as they did. The kind of dominoes kind of all fell into place, albeit not fully completed. And so some surprises where actually sometimes you, you tap into something. The point that you made, Tam, around being surprised by the consistency of what children and young people tell you, that resonates with me as well in the work that I've done over the last five years, that every community you go into, children of all ages, the same themes come up around poverty, around mental health, around climate justice now, a really big one, around concerns about particularly things like the war in Ukraine and global security. The same issues come up consistently and, and really surprisingly, it doesn't matter which community you're in, in terms of wealthy communities, poorer communities, age groups, that real consistency around the issues that children are concerned about in human rights terms and again, I, I suppose that surprise then flows into how quickly I think the idea of children as human rights defenders has been embraced over the last few years. This was a, a big priority for me, and it was linked in with the 
Committee on the Rights of the Child Day of General Discussion in, in 2018. But just this growing understanding that children actually have a role not just in terms of participation and being involved in decisions which affect them, but protest and challenge and being outside the tent and being prickly and, and actually learning about their rights and then speaking truth to power and what we need to do as adults to um, support that. And we've seen it at its most clear in terms of climate justice, where children and young people have really challenged adults. And so um, I, th I think having the benefit of being the, the third commissioner and having a lot of the groundwork done, there's a lot of things that seem to be falling into place over the last few years. And, and that surprises me, having done this type of work for a very long time, and usually it's banging your head against a brick wall or kind of one step forward and two back at times. When things actually do fall into place, that comes as a bit of a surprise in human rights. Hi, I'm Sophie. I'm 15. What was your proudest moment? Proudest moments? Bruce, I'll come to you first then, and then Kathleen, and then I, I seem to be doing myself last. Is that okay? <laughs> That's a cheers <laughs> privilege, Tam. There you go. Uh, right. Bruce, your proudest uh, moment? This is the best job in the world. So you have proud moments every single day. Um, being appointed into this job and having this opportunity, I was, was hugely proud. I think getting those legal changes in place were all really proud moments. I think on, on physical punishment and age of criminal responsibility, even though that wasn't a success, it was still some level of pride in reframing the arguments. But incorporation being passed unanimously by the Scottish Parliament last year in 2021 was, was a hugely proud moment. And I think that all of us involved really did feel the weight of support for, for generations before that. And, and I think it was a kind of a huge turning point in our understanding of, of putting children's rights into the heart of, of law in Scotland. So hugely, hugely proud about, about that. But it's impossible to choose one, isn't it? Because the other thing I would say is that, that just working with children and young people, you, you have proud moments every, every minute of the day. And I think that the, the young human rights defenders that I've worked with, particularly when they've done some of the kind of big things, kind of giving evidence at the UN and kind of giving evidence at Parliament and giving kind of major speeches, because I, I usually try and share my speaking time with young people. So we've given some really high level speeches with young people and it's so articulate and watching children and young people acting as human rights defenders and delivering change in a way that I never could that makes me incredibly proud. And I, th I think that's something that really inspires me every single day. Some of what Bruce was saying there about sharing your speaking time with young people, I felt proud when I was able to use my position to give young people a voice because I think there are sometimes you have to speak for children and young people and about their interests and other times where you really just have to create the space where they can do it themselves and that makes you very proud. And I mean, a couple of times like them, young women with disabilities have got her to write a report about her experiences at university and then to present it to about 80 civil servants and about what they had to learn. She was so eloquent about it and that was really good. Being at a conference and talking to young people at breaks and one of them uh, was telling me about the difficulty he had. They'd been in a summer scheme and he'd been leading a group of younger children. They wanted to continue it, but the community centre wouldn't let them use the premises. And he's saying, are we not part of the community? So I said, well, look, I'm on next, so do you want to take 10 minutes and you tell them about it? And of course, afterwards, you could see the local authority people rushing up to talk to him about it. But I think also, like, you know, the asylum thing was a theme all through my um, period of office. And when I was finishing in my last weeks, I remember going to visit a school and uh, I didn't know, unknown to me, I was called into the classroom and a lot of the young asylum seekers were there. <laughs> so I'm getting choked up. And they were smiling 
you know, smiling. And sorry, that that really is good to to see children smile. So sorry, you carry on, Tam. <laughs> okay, thanks for that heartfelt example, Kathleen. Anything I say now is going to sound a bit trivial. Sorry, I, I Tam. Go, it's fine. I, I would go back to that. I wanted people to feel proud every time they walked through the door, as I did. And there are too many moments to mention. Uh, but since the question's been asked directly, I think pulling off a right blather, which was a massive consultation exercise with 74,000 youngsters involved in that, it was high risk. It was something that we didn't know whether we'd be able to do it or not. And it, it engulfed the office for quite a period of time. But it provided a really strong basis to demonstrate about listening to the voices of children and young people and about actually genuinely having the, the work of the office actually based on what those young people uh, said. And I'm going to steal another one because we actually had, the Bruce mentioned it earlier, European Network of Ombudspersons for Children. And the, the occasion where it took place in Scotland, we really genuinely involved children and young people in the, the production of that. And we had films from across Europe. This strikes at that theme that you mentioned earlier, Bruce, about the consistency of messaging, where youngsters had created films, 16 of them, all different, all about the theme of poverty. And the things that came out of that were so strikingly similar right across Europe. And there was a bit of feedback that was given publicly uh, at the end of that, where somebody said, this is what the European network's about in terms of its engagement with children and young people. Uh, yeah, that was quite an important statement. privilege not just to be the commissioners, each of us, but to reflect on some, and I would say some, of the key aspects of the work that we've been involved in. I think you're so right, Tam, that there's so much that happens in your kind of five, six, eight year period that, it, that it's impossible to capture in, in, in a short conversation. But I'm loving the questions from the young people to help us really kind of focus in on some of the really important aspects of that. The continuity and yet the development is really interesting and when Bruce talking about issues that have just, they've got their time, you know, and I think that's what culture change is all about as well. It's actually a slow process and then you hit it at the end. So I'm very jealous that Bruce was in office when he got the age of criminal responsibility to some extent and the physical punishment and all, you know, all those incorporation. But, you know, it's super to see that things actually do get accepted that seemed so impossible at the beginning. You stole my line there, Kathleen. I was Sorry, Tam. How, how green with envy I am. But, <laughs> <laughs> but how wonderful. How wonderful. Yeah, how wonderful. Scotland's Children's Commissioner at 18 is a bespoken media production produced by Amanda Hargreaves with assistance from John, one of the Commissioner's young advisors. Music created by young people, Praise, Jack, Sophia, Krista, Vicky, Logan and Maria from Systema Scotland's Big Noise Tower programme in Aberdeen. Sound design by Joel Cox.